This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In today's message, we continue discussing the soul. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. All right, let's listen in. I say good morning to everybody. What an awesome day to live. What an awesome day to worship God. What an awesome day to look around at your life and realize how awesome God is. Look at every good thing and see the hand of God moving in your life. Look at everything that's right and see how God has blessed you and see what he's given you. Look at every day that you made it through and watch and see and account for God's protection, his provision, his peace, his joy. Look around your house and see your family and notice that God has spared and given life and how he has loved us and how worthy he is of us to give him praise and glory and honor and thanks for all of him being so awesome to us. Look at your health. It may not be perfect, but you have to look around and see that there's somebody that's worse than me. And I have to give God praise and thanks for whatever mobility I have, whatever sight I have, whatever ability to hear that I have, and, and thank him for everything and give him praise and glory and honor this morning. God knows we need him to help us. He, we, we need him to help us. We need him to intervene in our government, and we need him to intervene in, in our cities and states and all across this nation. All the racial tension and all the separation and division in government and the strife and confusion and the lack of peace and the, 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 the chaos that's on our jobs and Everything that's going on in the world, we need to look around and, and as God's people, we need to pray and intercede on behalf of our nation and on behalf of our government, on behalf of the jobs where we work and we need God to move. We need him to do something special and unique. It is our time to shine. It is our time to be what God called us and that is the light of the world to shine forth and let people see that Jesus is alive and, and that he is alive and he lives on the inside of me and, and that he's working in me and that he's working through me. We need to open our lives up so that he can manifest himself. I think the world has seen enough of us and not enough of him. And now is his time. Now is his time to shine forth and manifest and demonstrate to the world who he is in his church, in his body, in his people. We want to start today, I want to continue on talking about the soul. I know it may seem monotonous to you, it may be a little boring to you, I don't know, but it is so critical because it is the part of us that will last forever. It's the part of us that can have eternal joy or eternal misery. 
it's the part of us, and, and this is the part I like. It, it said it's uh, like a, uh, an expensive instrument that it seems like if you pay so much money for an instrument that every time you pull it out of the case, it would already be tuned. But every time you pull it out, you got to tune it, no matter how much that instrument costs. And our soul is like an instrument. It must, let me say again, it must stay in tune with God. In order for our lives to flow, in order for us to be effective, in order for any good thing to flow out of us, we have to stay in tune with God. The second analogy was, was the fact that our soul is like a walled city. It's like a walled city that has enemies without that must be resisted and traitors within that must be hunted down and kicked out. And that is so true because those enemies without are actually appealing to the traitors within and bringing forth actions from our body that are not pleasing to us or to God. It may bring a little satisfaction, but it's not pleasing to us or to God. And we need to, we need to realize what, what's actually going on, what's happening in us. Because Jeremiah said it this way. He said, he said, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know his own heart and mind? I don't really know what was going on at the time when Jeremiah spoke these words. I don't really know what was happening when he said this. But I, I, I tend to disagree with Jeremiah now because I believe that God is so faithfully working in our souls. He's so faithfully working in our hearts, seeking to reveal to us, because guess what? Guess what? He'll help us to kick those enemies out when we want them out. He won't automatically go in there and eject them, evict them, but he will when we say to him that I want them gone. Because you have to understand in the soul, in the soul of man is the will of man. It's where I decide, it's where I choose. And that's why God said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, which I'm going to use later, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're not your own for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your spirit and your bodies which are God's. Now he didn't say anything about the soul belonging to him because the soul contains the will and the soul has to be given over to him. Remember what Jesus said when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if thou be willing, take this cup from me. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. And guess what? God would have gave, given him what he so desired if he hadn't if he hadn't conceded and given his will over to the Father and allowed him to do what he wanted to do through him. So we have to understand that our heart is desperately wicked. And, and Jeremiah said, who can know his own heart and mind? The truth of the matter is God is working to help us to see every day what's on the inside of our soul. He's doing it every day. The question is, 
The question is, am I paying attention to what God is revealing? The question is, am I writing off what God is revealing and blaming other people or pointing at others and saying that they are the reason or the cause for me to be who I am, what I am? Am I blaming others? Am I blaming my situations and my circumstances and, and saying that if I had, remember I, I covered this, I think last week, if I had this amount of money, if I had this job, if that person would leave me alone, I would be better. If they hadn't said that, I wouldn't have done this. And that's probably true. But that's the enemy on the outside appealing to the traitor that's on the inside and causing you to act in a way that's not pleasing to you or to God. So are we really paying attention to what God is actually trying to show us about ourselves? Let me say this to you. The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. It begins with his people. It begins with you, 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 and you, and me. You want to know where God is working? You may, you may, you may pray about somebody else, but he's going to talk to you about you. I'm not saying that he's not going to answer your prayer, but I'm telling you he's going to work on you. His, his ultimate goal, his primary mission is you. And the truth is, the only somebody that you can change is who? You. You can't fix me. You can't fix your wife, your husband, your children. The only person that you can truly have any success in changing is you. And the question is, do you really want to change? Are you to the place where you are tired of you? Because I think I said this too, that until you are tired of you, you will not ever change you. I had to come to a place where I had to look at myself and say, God, I don't like me. Help me. And that's when God started. Ah, hallelujah. That's when God started to bring about change in my life. So I'm asking you and I'm challenging you this morning to say that with me. God, I don't like me. Help me. I don't like me. I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see. I don't like who I am. And here's the sad note on this thing. I think most Christians don't ever even realize that when they get saved, that their soul needs work. They don't ever realize that when they get saved, that their soul needs work, that the work is just beginning. I think a lot of us are deceived to believe that when we're saved, the work is finished. And in Jesus' mind it is, and in our spirit it is. He takes out that old man and put in a new man. And the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God. But what we have to understand is, is that our soul, remember in Romans chapter 12, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or reasonable worship. And then he says, don't be conformed or don't be shaped or molded by this world, but be, be ye transformed, made over, made new by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Notice what he's saying now. He said, he said now, in order for you to be transformed, in order for you to be changed, we got to renew our mind. And let me say this to you. That's not an easy process. It's not a process that you're going to read a few scriptures and in a few minutes you're going to have it down and you're going to be good. This is going to take some work. It's going to take some resistance. It's going to take some fighting. It's going to take some planning, some preparation. And let me say this as well. I've always said this. We need to work in the area where God is working. Understand this. You don't need to know the whole Bible. You need to know the part of the Bible that God is revealing about you that's wrong, that he needs and wants and is ready to fix. Let me say that again. You don't need to know the whole Bible. You need to know the part that God is revealing and showing to you that he is ready to work on and to fix. Those are the scriptures you need to meditate on and to get into your heart. And let me say this, you don't need to move on from that until you cover and gain that, until that becomes a part of you and second nature to you when this thing shows up in you. And that's why I say it takes time, it takes work. And let me say this, Christians have become, and the church has, the church and preachers and pastors have made us become lazy. This is what I mean by that. We have become a line group of people. In other words, I'm waiting for somebody to lay hands on me to resolve everything that's going on with me. I'm looking for somebody to pray with me to fix everything that's happening to me. And let me say that, God, let me say this, God will work in some things. He will. He will. Other people can intercede and pray and things change. But there are some things, and I believe it's most things, that they are never going to change until you decide that you're tired of them. Now, people can pray for you and God can work and move. But God cannot move until you decide that you are fed up with these things, these ways, these habits, these thoughts, ideas, attitudes, until you decide and you choose that you had enough of it, that you want it gone. And when you decide and choose that, that's when God is going to step in and help you evict whatever it is that you want to see out of your life. And let me say this again. It is work. It is work. And that's why most Christians, that's why they, that's why they call us hypocrites. Uh, we, we definitely, we, we truly are Christians. And I believe most of us are truly are saved. 
But the saving of the soul, the complete salvation of the soul, I question. Because here again, we were raised before we were saved. We saw a lot of things that influenced the soul. Remember in Proverbs chapter 4, I believe it is, where he says, he said, keep your eyes right on. And then he tells us, be cautious and careful about what or how you hear. See, the eyes and the ears are the gateways to the soul. And before we knew we needed to protect our soul, guess what? Our soul was vulnerable to the stuff around us that we saw and that we heard. And because we saw people in position of authority in our lives do these things, we adopted them and accepted them as being right and true. Now, we got to re-examine them when God brings them up and reveals them and examine them to the place and the point where we realize that what I've been shown, what I've seen, what I've been told, and what I've been heard is no longer true. And now I have to adopt a new truth, which is the word of the living God. I got, I got to take God's word now because I'm saved now. I'm a Christian now. I've given my life to Jesus now. So now I have to begin evicting those attitudes and mindsets of the soul that have caused me so much heartache and trouble. Caused me so much problem. Caused, um, caused the manifestation of God not to be present in my life. Yeah, they see Jesus, but they don't see him like they could. They don't see him like they should because these little traitors on the inside that's being called upon from the enemies on the outside and are manifesting some characteristics that are unchristlike and people are seeing those they see Jesus from time to time but they see these things more often and those are the ones that we got to deal with those are the ones that we got to capture and we got to evict them from our soul and we got to say no no, no, it's not going to happen. This is not like the Savior that I have selected and chosen to live for. And the one that I have selected and chosen to live in me and through me. And this has to go. And when I say that, and I believe that, and I put in the work that will help me to accomplish that, then I will begin to see a manifestation of Jesus and the presence of God with me like I have never, ever, hallelujah, seen in my life before. So, with all that being said, I want to start today with Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. Everybody knows it. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, listen to what he's saying. He's saying basically... I got to crucify some things. That's some things that we got to put on the cross. That's some things that we have to put on the cross. Remember Matthew chapter 16, if any man will come after me, let him do what? First deny himself and take up his what? His cross and follow me. 
Why? What, what does he have to do? He's got to deny himself. He got to deny that what he sees in himself is accurate and correct. And he's got to take up his cross and put whatever he sees that's not accurate and correct and put it on the cross and kill it. And then he can follow Jesus. He can walk in the footsteps of Christ. He can walk in the footsteps of the almighty God. He said, now, he, now, now Paul said, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives on the inside of me. It's Christ, no, no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He said, man, now I, I, I'm, I have given up my life, and I'm no longer living it. Jesus is living it in me and through me. And then I, I want you to note what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. Now, the kind of man that he had been. Now, this is, a, this is, this is maybe paraphrased, but listen to what it says. It said, Paul, this Paul talking now. I was a blatant sinner, a blasphemer with a foul mouth. I was an angry and violent man. I hated Christians. I regarded the resurrection they spoke about as a delusion, a fabrication, and an offense. Then the risen Christ appeared to me. I was on my way to sinning more when he stopped me in my tracks. Remember? He was on his way to Damascus. I was blinded by his glory. It was as, it was as if the day of judgment had come for me. And I believe that. I believe that that day Jesus said, now Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? Or why are you fighting me? And he said, but I was shown mercy. The grace of the Lord Jesus overflowed to me. That's in verse 14. He displayed his patience in me. He poured out his spirit upon me. So, Look at me as an example of what he is ready and able to do. Christ lives in me. If he can come and live in a man with a past like mine, then you can be sure that there is hope for you. Christ lives in me. It's a marvelous statement of what it means to be a Christian. The Son of God moves in as an honored guest in your soul. Think about how the Bible puts it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this is what you got to understand. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. Note again, he's standing at the door. And I've always said that the door does not have a knob on the side where Jesus is knocking. In other words, the door cannot be opened from the side he is knocking on. It cannot be opened from that side. It must be opened from the inside. It must be opened from the inside. And when, his life, when, when the door is open from the inside, then he said, if any man will open the door, if he will open the door, he said, I'll come into him and, and eat with him 
and he with me. If you have the idea that the Christian faith about believing in Christ is from a distance, I want you to think again. This is a personal Jesus. This is a Jesus that wants to come and live in your soul. Christ says, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I want to come in, and, I want, and when I come in, I want to eat with you. I want to settle down in a booth with you. And I want, to, I want the two of us to share breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. He said, that's the relationship that I want. And that's why I stand at the door and knock. So let's ask ourselves some questions here. How is Christ present in the soul of a believer? Now all of us know Christ rose from the dead in a resurrected, resurrection body and then he ascended to heaven. The resurrection body is different from the bodies we have now, but it is a body. The risen Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And because of this, the presence of Christ's resurrected body cannot be in our heart any more than it can be in, on the communion table. So how is Christ present in the soul of every believer? The answer is by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Jesus spoke, to, spoke about this to his disciples. He said that he must go to, the, to his Father. And you know they didn't want him to go. But he said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, verse 7. I want you to think about that. They were looking at Jesus. Man, what could be better than having Jesus here personally? What could be better than that? How can he look at us and tell us it is to our advantage that he goes away? How can it be to my advantage that he leaves us? It can be to his advantage because Jesus could only, because he was in a physical body, he could only be in one place at one time. But he said, now, if I send the Spirit, when I get to the Father and send the Spirit, he said, it is to your advantage. Why? Because the Spirit can live in the heart of every believer. So rather than him being confined to one place, he can be in every heart that opens the door and allows him to come in. Who is, the help? Who is this help? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. You know him, for he dwells with you, and this is what John said, will be in you. That's John 14, 16, and 17. Now, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is referred to in the Bible as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, or simply the Spirit. Or simply, he's referred to as the Spirit. In one passage, Romans 8, I believe it's verse 9, in that one passage, the Holy Spirit is referred to three times. First as the Spirit, then as the Spirit of God, and then as the Spirit of Christ. This is what it says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's Romans 8, 8, 8 and 9. Now, 
Here's this great reality that, that, that stands at the center of the Christian life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born in the manger, died on the cross and rose from the dead, lives by his spirit in the soul of every Christian believer. This is the great truth written all over the New Testament. Christ lives in me. Christ in me. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. Life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, let me back up. The title of my message is The Son and the Soul. The Son and the Soul. Okay? So that's the title of my message, The Son and the Soul. Okay? Now, your body, I referenced this earlier, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, again in Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And then Colossians 1, 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the problem, there is a problem of emphasizing Christian duty. There's a problem of emphasizing Christian duty. And, and any teaching on holiness which puts the, puts the main emphasis on the Christian's duty turns sanctification into a matter of self-effort, a work dependent on ourselves or an experience we have to seek. And if that were the case, it would not be good news. Grace would not fall into the, into the grace would fall into the second place and our works would be put before the grace of God. In other words, what I'm telling you is we have made holiness something that we have to accomplish, something that we have to choose, we, something we have to do. We put rules and stipulations and and things that folks can and cannot do to try to produce holiness. And guess what? If we achieve it through those methods, then it becomes by works and not by grace. And grace takes second place to our works. If we achieve it by that. If we achieve it that way. And it was only when men began to preach Christ and the necessity of the Holy Spirit and the new birth that a real and mighty change began. That's when, that's when change began. When men stopped teaching works, because guess what? It was only so many works or so much of works that we could do that actually they, they never brought about change. I, 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 remember, I remember myself when I tried to commit that I was going to quit doing certain things. And guess what? It lasted all of a weekend. It lasted for just a moment. It lasted just for a certain period of time. It had no lasting results. And when we teach works, when we teach people that they need to do and they need to do, and we put stipulations on people, then that's when 
they get frustrated because they don't see the change that's necessary and the change that's expected, and then they begin to want to quit because they say it's not working. It doesn't work. A message that is simply a call to a more disciplined and moral life will never bring about, never bring significant or lasting change. It never will. And that's the problem of emphasizing, emphasizing Christian duty to people. But when, when Christ is preached, and when the necessity of the Holy Spirit is preached and the new birth is preached, there was remarkable change. People were converted. Christ came to dwell in their hearts through his spirit. People experienced new life, new joy, new peace, and new power. When Christ is preached, not what we need to do to fix ourselves because we can't fix ourselves. Now understand again, I did say this earlier, that we do have to come to a place and a point where we want to evict some of these traitors that's on the inside. We do have to come to that place and point in our lives where we want to evict the traitors. But the eviction of them will come through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you feel that all this is beyond you, I, I, I simply ask you this question. Can you see that if the spirit of Jesus Christ were to live as an honored guest in your soul, to dwell in your mind and heart, to settle down in your desires and in your conscience and even in your memories, if that were to happen, it would be entirely different from you doing your best to be a good Christian. And I hope you know what I'm talking about from your own experience. But if you don't, I hope you'll, you'll be awakened to what it really means to be a Christian and that you will not rest until you can say with clarity and joy, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20. Now, now, like I say, these, these, these traitors have, have got to be found. They have got to be found. And, listen, they must be crucified. They got to be killed. They must die. They must die. Now, what the good news of the indwelling Christ means for us, number one, the Christian is never truly alone. The Christian is never truly alone. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, he is with you wherever you go at your lowest moment. When you feel isolated, abandoned, and alone, you can say, like David said in Psalm 16 and 18, the Lord is my right hand, is at my right hand. Therefore, I will not be shaken. You know, there's a prayer that we often pray it's somewhat redundant. We'll say, Lord, Mary is, Mary is sick. Please be with her. Lord, Larry is undergoing this great trial. Please be with him. I prayed like that many times, as I'm sure you have. 
it's good to pray that a person will be aware of the presence of Christ as they move through a time of trial. But it's good to remember that a prayer for Christ to be with a Christian in trouble is a prayer that has already been answered. He's already answered. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you in trouble. I'll deliver you and honor you, and with long life will I satisfy you, and I'll show you my salvation. Psalms 91, he said, he, he said I'll be with you. He said, he said it to the disciples. When he, when, he, when he got rid of sin in the heaven, he said, Lord, I am with thee always. I'm with you always. You're never alone. You're never alone. When you know that Christ lives in you, then you can say with David, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? You can say with Paul, if God is for me, who can be against me? Romans 8, 31. And you can say with John in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The next thing is, the second thing is, 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 what, 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 the, end, what, what the, the good news of the indwelling Christ means for us is Christ knows directly all that you face, feel, and fear. He has a real-time awareness of every trial and every temptation that you face. You know, back in the day in the 20th century homes, you know, people, these are people that had money, people that had servants. They would... They would, uh, they would, the servants would live downstairs. The servants would live in the, in the, in the downstairs and the, and the, 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 the family of, of wealth would live upstairs. And all throughout the house, they had this, uh, they had this, 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 this bail system in the house. And the system of little bells that ring in the kitchen with a pull of a cord in every room, the family can call for anything that they need. When the bell rings downstairs, it indicates where the need is so that the servant can make an immediate response. What does that have to do with now? Here's... Here is something very wonderful. Christ has installed a bell system that connects what? Your heart with heaven. But this bell system is in reverse because the bell rings in heaven. It is a bell system in which the servants ring for the help of the master. Now this, word, this is worth thinking about. The spirit of Christ lives in your heart he feels the approach of every trial and temptation. And he pulls the cord that rings the bell in heaven. Christ knows exactly all that you face and feel and fear. He knows all of it. He knows all of it. And guess what? Jesus is not like most of us. And, and when, when the bell rings, he, he rolls his eyes. He rolls his eyes like, oh, my God, here they go again. Now, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he's been downstairs. He's been tempted and tested in every respect. And now, as our advocate, he brings our need before the Father so that all the resources of heaven 
are available to us. That's awesome. And then he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he said, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Come, he says, with confidence because the bell has already been rung. Christ knows that all you face, he knows all that you face and feel and fear, and he is here for you. He's here for you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Christ is available to you. Christ is available to you. He's not, he's a, he's a high priest that's easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's a high priest that's been tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. He's easily moved. He's easily touched. He has compassion. He looks upon us and understands. I mean, who wouldn't want to serve a God like that and be connected with one that's so willingly ready to come to your aid and come to your assistance, to come to help you, to come in your time of need. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. He's available to us. He's waiting for us to call. He's waiting. Not only is he waiting, he's willing. Not only is he willing, he's also able. He's here for you. He's here for you. Now, the third thing is, the spirit of Christ is actively at work in your soul. He's actively at work in your soul. And there are six things that you need to know that he's, he's doing in your soul. Think about the work of the spirit in the life of a believer. The spirit gives understanding of the word. Remember what Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, come, he will guide you in all, the tr in all truth and teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance the things that I've spoken unto you. That was, G Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, there's many things that I, I would tell you now. He said, but you can't bear them. But when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he would say, when the Holy Spirit has come, he's going to teach you. He'll, he'll teach you. The Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate the word to us. I can remember being in church on, on several occasions and looking in the face of people that when the light came on, they heard the word, and, they, and, and it's almost for the first time in their lives, they understood what, what it was saying. That is the work of the Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, is to help us to understand what the word is saying to us. The Spirit also convicts of sin. I didn't say condemn. I said convict. When you've been convicted, you've been found what? Guilty. You've been convinced that you're wrong. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's convincing you when you're wrong and when you're in sin. 
The third thing, the Spirit makes us holy. Please hear that. There's nothing you can do to make yourself holy. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul of the believer that will actually bring that person to a place of holiness. It's not what we wear or don't wear, do or don't do. It is the work of the Spirit on the inside of you. Holiness stems from the inside out. And we probably have never seen what it looks like because we've been told what it looks like from the outside in. We've been told that if we do this or don't do this, and if we wear this or don't wear this, then we're holy. We've been given definitions and descriptions of holiness that don't match what God said. The Holy Spirit will perform a work of holiness on the inside of you. From the inside out, that beauty will flow from your soul. Once those enemies that are speaking to the traitors on the inside, once those traitors are captured, crucified, then holiness will flow from you and men will see God. The fourth thing is the Spirit equips us with gifts for ministry and thrusts out the people of God into every sphere of life. He equips us for ministry. Let me tell you something. You can go to college all you want. You can do, you can go to school, you can go to theo you can go to a theology school, you can get degrees in theology. You can get degrees, go to seminary, you can do all of these things, but it is the Holy Spirit that equips us and puts us in the areas of life where he wants us to be effective, where he wants to work and move in the lives of other people. It's not about us educating ourselves. Remember what Jesus, remember what, remember what, uh, uh, the people in, I, I, I believe in, uh, when, when Jesus was captured, it said these ignorant fishermen, that's what they were called, ignorant fishermen. In other words, they were uneducated men, they were fishermen for, that was what they did for a living. But guess what? The Holy Spirit equipped them and sent them, and because of those ignorant fishermen, we have the word of God today. Okay? So the Holy Spirit makes us, equips us with gifts for ministry and thrusts out the people of God in the every sphere of life. And again, guess the, the, the next thing the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Romans chapter 8, the, the Spirit makes intercession with groanings who cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knows whether the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is making intercession. The Holy Spirit is in your soul and he's actually, he's the ear from heaven that speaks to your soul. He's the ear from your soul that speaks into heaven and intercedes on your behalf with a perfect prayer of what's necessary to change your life. Remember, the, remember what, the, what the word says about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit don't speak on his own, but whatever he hears, that will he, that, that will he speak. 
the Holy Spirit will speak from your soul and call on the on, on heaven. Remember, I said ring the bell. He he will ring the bell and and call for the resources of heaven to help you to overcome whatever issues and things you're facing in your soul. Talk to the Holy Spirit. He's there to help you. He's there to assist you. He's there to intercede for you. And then the last one is number six is this. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Let me say this to you. I've, I've, no matter how I've acted in the past, no matter what I've done, nobody has been able to convince me that I'm not a child of God. That I'm not saved. Why? Because the spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am his child. The Holy Spirit is doing that. The Holy Spirit is doing that. He's working in you constantly and consistently. The Spirit of God is always working in the life of, in the life of a believer. I cannot think of a greater incentive to care for your soul than to know that he cares so actively about me. I cannot think of a greater motivation to work for God than to know that he works so powerfully in me. I can't think of a greater reason for hope than to know that the hardest moments of the life, hardest moments of life, the spirit of God Almighty, the spirit of Jesus who died and rose is for you and is actively at work in you. I say again, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Son in your soul, the Son in your soul. The presence of Christ, the presence of Christ with you. The sympathy of Christ toward you. The strength of Christ in you. That's what's going to get you through. Christ in you. That's your hope. Of glory. Christ in you. That's the only hope that we ever have of seeing any type of glory in our lives. That's the only, that's the only hope we have. And the Holy Spirit is there to bring Christ, Christ's sympathy toward us and his strength in us. His presence with us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be with you in trouble. Deliver you, honor you, long life, satisfy you. Be with you to the end of the age. Man, nobody can say that to us. Nobody can promise us that. Man, when we're at our worst times, the Spirit of God is closer than we can imagine. When life is at its hardest, the Spirit of God is at its best. When life seems to be difficult, the Holy Spirit is at work. He's working. He's moving. He's intervening. He's interceding. He's convicting. He's teaching. If we search, he's equipping you. He's thrusting you out. And he's bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. He's bearing witness with you that you belong to God. And to all who would say today, 
That's exactly what I need. He says, he says this to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Revelations chapter 20, chapter 3, verse 20. That's Jesus' heart. That's Jesus' desire is to come in in the fellowship. And let me say this to you. He, he don't want to come in and just be isolated to one room in your home, in your heart. He wants to have access to every room. He wants to clean the whole house. He wants to search the house out and find all the traitors that's on the inside that the enemy on the outside is appealing to. And he wants to crucify them, evict them, and get them out of your life so that the Jesus, Jesus can shine through you. So that all those good things that he promised can flow out of you. For out of it flows the issues of life, the stuff that life is made out of. And if I'm going to live a successful, blessed Christian life, one of the things that makes a, a great difference is the sun being in the soul. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you and praise you for being so willing to come and live on the inside of us, to make yourself available to us, and not to just some of us, but to all of us by your spirit, to make yourself available, Lord God, to come and live in the heart of men. But you didn't just come to live there. You, you, you didn't just come to to be there, you came to live, to express yourself in and through us. But in order for you to express yourself in and through us, we have to open ourselves up and we have to allow you to surface, to bring to surface those things that are not like you. And when you reveal them, we can't blame the world. We can't look at other people and say it's their fault. We have to take full responsibility for our, our actions, excluding the external circumstances. We got to admit that what I see is not like Jesus. And we got to ask for your help so that we can get it out of our lives. Lord, how I just bless you, praise you, thank you, worship you, and honor you for coming to live in such a horrible place but not to leave it the way you found it, but to change it so that it can be a clean dwelling place and a clean place for you to express to the world who you are. I bless you for it. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Yes, there is a place for me.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.